For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in the first chapter of the book of Esther, we are introduced to a self-absorbed, powerful king and a marriage dispute that sets the stage for drama to come. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Cook Your Own Dinner. Well, it was only a few short years after they were married before it was reported that their famous marriage was in trouble Prince Charles and Lady Diana uh, were really experiencing some pretty serious problems not very long after uh, the wedding. Now, I remember thinking, how is that possible? You know, I mean, it hadn't been that much time. And, uh, you know, the wedding was so lavish and expensive and all those stats, you remember. What was it? 750 million people watched that. And I, one, one stat about her dress stuck in my head. It had 10,000 pearls. I, I mean, this was a wedding. It, it cost $110 million. I mean, there was an investment there. And to see it unravel in just uh, a few years, that was really uh, incredible. I mean, how? A royal prince, a beautiful young woman, a princess, uh, all of that fame and fortune and fairy tale wedding and sprawling castles and elaborate palaces and bodyguards, maids, and butlers, uh, certainly no financial struggles, probably, right? But clearly there was trouble in paradise, and the world saw once again that at the end of the day, uh, even the nobility of the earth uh, are very much like ordinary people who have personal issues and marital problems, just like everybody else, really sad. Well, that is exactly how one of the most dramatic and well-loved stories in all the Bible, the book of Esther, gets started. A problem in paradise, a problem, a marital problem in the Persian palace. A very well-known king and his wife, the queen, had a disagreement. They butted heads, which led to a fight and hard feelings, mostly on the husband's side. And he's the problem, as usual. Amen? (laughs) And uh, hard feelings led to what? A divorce, which opened the door through which the hero and the star of the book of Esther shall walk. A young Jewish woman, really from modest means, she will rise to become one of the most powerful women in the then known world. World, She will become rich beyond her wildest dreams. Uh, she becomes the new wife of the king. And this king reigns over the whole world. So she is queen, really reigning over the entire then known world. How does that happen? How do you go from zero to hero like that? Well, you know what? Um, she, she was a nobody 
right? And, and she didn't have a, any friends in high places. Well, she did have one friend <laughs> in a very high place. But very interestingly, he is never named once in the book. The only book in the Bible where God's name does not appear for a reason. He is teaching. The theme of the book of Esther is God is working always when you think you know him and see him and when you don't. When he's in, uh, available in church to people who are calling on his name and he's at work in, in foreign lands where they don't call on his name, where, where really they just want to have one big party after another. And there are like six parties in the book of Esther and a lot of drinking too. And, and yet God is working his sovereign will. And so really that's one of the themes of the book. God is telling a story. I'm always at work. I'm working in invisible and quiet ways, accomplishing my will. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Verse 1. This is what happened, and this is a, a phrase that's very common, a way to start the historical books in the Old Testament. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and royal wine was abundant. In keeping with the king's liberality, hmm. <laughs> by the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink in his own way. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti, the, his wife, also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. All right, look, let's stop there. There's a lot to talk about already. Um, Persian pomp and circumstance, three great banquets already listed here, which will set the stage for our story to unfold. And so first, of course, we're going to need some context, all right? So it, if you want the date, it's, it's exactly 483 BC, all right? I've got a slide. This will help, all right? Now, last we studied, we were in the book of Daniel. And Daniel talks about, you know, things that happened 
during the seven year, 70 years when Israel was in exile. That just means they were deported. Uh, because of their many sins, the Lord prophesied over and over and over again uh, that they would be removed from the promised land, that they couldn't bite the hand that fed them and took care of them, and so that he would remove them, and it even said for 70 years. And so God kept that promise there. We watched it happen in 2 Kings, studying verse by verse through there. And, and so Nebuchadnezzar came in, tra- trashed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took the Jews that were left to Iraq, to Babylon. And so the book of Daniel talks about that. Well, now it's been about 100 years from this time, from the beginning, all right? And so what most people don't know is that Ezra and Nehemiah in the Hebrew are one book because it's one story about rebuilding. It's time for them to go back after the 70 years under uh, uh, the, the, the King Cyrus, uh, a Persian king. And Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther... Esther happens during this time. They're they're all telling the same story. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 2, when he goes to Xerxes, Nehemiah works for this king. He's throwing the party. Nehemiah may be in the room because in Nehemiah chapter 2, he goes to Xerxes and he asks permission to go back and help build uh, the wall of Jerusalem. And then it notes, and the queen was sitting beside him. The queen, we believe, was Queen Esther. So that hasn't happened. What has happened is the temple has been rebuilt. So King Cyrus, Xerxes, the guy we're talking about, his grandpa has 50 years earlier allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem under Ezra, And Ezra rebuilds the temple with a lot of help. That took about 50 years. And so that brings us to the grandson, now Xerxes. Xerxes is on the throne. And by the way, this is it for the Old Testament. You've got Malachi prophesying during this time, right? But uh, as historical uh, information goes, we're done. It's time once the wall's built and the temple's up and the people are back, Malachi's talking about things to come, but we're done with, with the Old Testament. And, and uh, now there'll be 400 years of silence. And the next voice anybody hears is who? John the Baptist. All right? So we've made it all the way, really. We're, we're, we're dealing with the books that are right at the end of the Old Testament. So... Uh, so, in short, God is working to keep all his promises. So the book of Ezra is how the Jews got released from captivity from Iraq and Iran, that area, and returned to Israel and restored the temple. That's Ezra, all right? So as you're looking up there. Now, how Jerusalem was rebuilt in the surrounding wall, that's Nehemiah. And now, you didn't think the devil was just gonna just sit back and go, oh, man, that God kept his promise, and now all the Jews are going back into the land. Well, now he comes up with a plan to kill them all. Kill every last Jew. And that's why we have the book of Esther. Because God is going to prevent that from happening by using this nobody, this peasant Jewish girl that nobody knew about, to save 
the Jewish people and us, right? With no Jewish people, you don't have a Jewish Messiah. And without a Jewish Messiah named Jesus, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. Amen? Now, so how did a nice Jewish girl from humble beginnings get to become the most influential woman in the Persian Empire? Well, this is our story, so we'll go back to the text. All right, so every story needs a starting point, and so we're going to begin here with a couple parties, big parties, and, and a very foolish and proud king, Xerxes. And unfortunately, he's not like his dad, Darius, Darius loved Daniel. You remember Darius was uh, the guy who, who really wanted Daniel to, to, to be spared from those lions. That's his dad. And Cyrus, in Isaiah, Cyrus, his grandfather, is called my shepherd by the Lord. He's my shepherd to do what I want him to do. And he's the guy who said the Jews are going back after the 70 years. And he funded the project. So we have Cyrus, Darius, and now Xerxes. But Xerxes not like his dad or his grandfather. He's self-absorbed, and you know that's what happens. You know, so he's a big deal in the world's eyes, but he doesn't have a lot of character. He's kind of a narcissist. You're going to see that. You know, the Lord will use him, but uh, in spite of him, now he rules 127 provinces. Uh, really, that's to tell you that the, his office is a big deal. He isn't a big deal in God's estimation, but he's got a pretty big gig here. He, uh, let me show you a map. And it tells you this. Okay, come on. That's 2.5 million square miles. He's the king, all right? So he's got 127 regions that answer to him. And so that's why it's in there to tell you there's 127 of them. And, um, you, you, you know, really, here, here's, you're going to have the motivation for the party, all right? So what's going on? Darius wanted to attack Greece, his father, and Greece repelled him, and Darius died at the hands of the Greeks. And so Xerxes is obsessed, the history books say, of going, they want, Xerxes wants to conquer Europe. This isn't enough for him, all right? He wants Europe and Greece, and that's gonna be the end of him. He's gonna, he's gonna get to do it, but there's somebody named Alexander the Great. He's not gonna take to his being pushed around. And the second attempt to take Greece is going to fail, and it's going to precipitate Alexander to come in and take over the whole world, you know. So that's what's going on. He's obsessed. Uh, Xerxes, Xerxes wants to get the entire empire on board. He, need, he can't win Greece by himself. So what is he going to do? He, he needs funds. He needs armies. He needs those 127 regions to... Uh, man up and send the guys and, and, and cooperate and all of that. And so the military leaders, the princes, the politicians, and from all of those regions are there. It's a war council, all right? That's what's going on there. It would be like uh, somebody throwing a big party in Washington trying to rally uh, uh, consensus for a war. So they need support. So they, they, they host 50 of the governors and all of Congress, and the armies, some of the heads of the military, to come. That's exactly 
what's going on. Anybody who's anybody with influence who could help him get to Greece to avenge the death of his father and his own lusts. He wants to rule the world. It's not enough that he's almost got the whole thing. He wants the whole rest of it. So his attempt here is going to lobby and seduce and impress and persuade and bribe and try to wine and dine the entire empire's movers and shakers to join him in his quest to go after Greece. Now, but it's all about him. And, uh, you know, it works because in the end, uh, they're going to join him. Uh, But it's going to be, as I mentioned, uh, his demise. Uh, The Proverbs say, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be kept safe. He really trusted in his own uh, strength and what he could muster up and manipulate among uh, the people. And so your text says, a full 180 days was this war council. Now, that's six months. Why? He had an open house at Susa, right? Susa is still there, northwest Iran, and it is called Shusha. And uh, it just, it has remains there that are, are architecturally support uh, the biblical narrative. Uh, but so he's got kind of rolling attendants coming in. You can't have everybody just come, right? Or you're going to have your empire vulnerable. So they're taking turns and they're swapping out. But for six months, uh, the palace is open and they're having the parties and it's going to describe it. Uh, for us. And so what is he doing? He's really, the point is this gaudy, self-absorbed, diabolical, because he's deceiving them. He's manipulating them. He's buying them. And those guys can be bought, you know? So uh, here, everything's on display, your text says. The treasures, the collection, the opulence, the wealth. Uh, When Alexander the Great comes in and conquers uh, Susa, uh, he finds 1,200 tons of gold and silver bullion. That's a lot. 1,200 tons. And 250 tons of minted gold coins. It was a treasure house in there. Well, look at the world. He robbed all of that. The world's treasuries are being taxed. And, and, and uh, all that revenue is coming in. And he's storing it all up there. And he's showing All the guys who come for the party are getting to see all of the storerooms. And so he's doing all of these things. He's pulling out the royal stallions and trotting them out, you know, with the the showrooms of the latest gold-plated chariots, you know, his fast cars and all of that, you know. Uh, So, yes, it's the text is the glory of his majesty, you know. It's just so interesting that Jesus said, you know, the things that the world highly esteems are de- is, is detestable to God. You know, he's looking at this and the world, you know, it's everything unbelievers are, are just intrigued by. You know, no Christian should ever drop their jaw open at, at a room full of treasure and just like kind of lose everything and become unraveled at anything. You know, the latest this or the most expensive that and all of this and the right lifestyles of the rich and famous. 
unbelievers who don't know God and don't have the hope or glimpse of what eternal life and eternal riches are all about, the glories of heaven, those are the people whose reward is in this life, the psalm says. If your reward's in this life, then you go to a party like that, and man, you're, you're like, oh, wow, King Xerxes, man. You're the bomb, or whatever, you know. So what is he saying? He's saying, you know, he pulls out his Persian soldiers, and they're doing the goose step march. You know what a goose step is, the Nazi thing, that all the bad boy countries, they all march like that. What is up with that? With the leg going up like that, you know, like we're coming for you, we're going to kill you, you know? And so it's called goose stepping because it, they, how a goose will stand on one foot, right? So I looked this stuff up on the internet, all right? I'm learning this, you know, and if it's on the internet, it has to be true, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, and don't forget about the open bar, okay? The open bar helps everything just go down a little bit easier, you know? So he's saying, look at me, guys, I'm the guy to lead you to victory. We'll take over the world, you know? Who does Greece think they are? They've never met the Persians, well, actually, they had, and, and they beat you guys. But, you know, I'm a stickler for facts, apparently. So throw your lot in with me. I got the resources. Look, I got the war machines. Take a look. I got the money, you know? And that's what he's doing here, you know? So uh, he's like the rich fool Jesus talked about. This is the guy with the barns, you know? And he, and he says, uh, what am I going to do? I don't have any more room for my stuff. And he says, Jesus telling the story, Luke 12. He says, what am I going to do? So Jesus says, he says, hey, I got a good idea. I'll build more barns and I'll put my stuff in those barns. And, and so then I could say, hey, uh, you know, I have it written down here. Um, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, man, you got it made. Now take it easy. Wine, women, and song, Right? But God said to him, fool, tonight you die. Then who's going to get all the stuff? And in this case, his name is Alexander. That's who's going to get all the stuff. So he's saving it nice and secure for a Greek guy who he doesn't even like Greeks, but the Greeks are going to get all his money. You know, that's usually how it goes. And so uh, Xerxes had a lot of barns, and he spent... Uh, six months showing the whole kingdom party uh, number one. Now, party number two is a culmination. It's the, it's the last hurrah of the six months, and it's seven days of drinking, all right? In the Greek, there's something called the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is in Hebrew. So when the Greeks came in, Greek was the language, so they translated the Old Testament into Greek. And the Greek word for this party is different from the first party. This word is potos in the Greek, and it means a drinking party. So for seven straight days, they are drinking. It's a little bit different. Let's take a look at it here, verse 5. When that party was over, he throws another. It's one week long, and it's in this enclosed, beautiful garden there. The word for paradise in English comes from a Persian word for garden, enclosed gardens. 
So they, they had it down for, they were especially fond of orchids. And orchids just, they cultivated them. They had hanging plants and gardens and all kinds of things as we're reading about. So it's a beautiful place. And that's where the guys are all at. And the military's still there. But here's what he's doing. He's opened it up to anybody who lives in Susa. Why? Thank you, guys. First of all, he needs their support. It's the capital of the whole empire. So he needs their... They've just hosted six months of people coming and going, and and they were involved in this big party for six months. So he's throwing a a big party, thank you party, to Susa. And anybody can go. Do you live in Susa? Come on in to the king's palace. Why? He's buying some more support, right? And so... Here's what it's telling you, what, it, what it's all. From the high to the low, anybody could come in. Thank you guys so much, you know. And once again, the opulence. And so first of all, he describes the courtyard. This is no ordinary courtyard that these peasants are coming in. And, and just think of it from somebody who makes about two cents a year. All right, so they're, they're in this place, verse 6. Dazzling white, blue draperies. Brightly colored cords. I need Barb's help on all of this. You know how it goes through rings and then it's attached to marble pillars and what have you. All the ladies know exactly what he's talking about there. Now, uh, yeah, he's just trying to manipulate, but this is the place here. So gold and silver couches, your text says. Okay, so there are fabulous drapes and hang- wall hangings and fabrics everywhere, right? And then you've got the gold and silver couches and hopefully some cushions on them. <laughs> y- you know, I, mean, I don't know how comfortable a gold couch is. I mean, it's pretty like I've never seen a gold couch. I mean, I've seen a gold-colored couch, but not like one made of gold. Now, these are people who are sitting on couches made of gold. And silver, and then he says, those couches are sitting on pavement in the courtyard that's paved with precious gems. And he lists them there. The, that, uh, that one hard word that's uh, there. Yeah, that's a stone, right? So mother of pearl is the iridescent outer layer of the shell, right? So it's not the pearl itself, but it's the shiny part. And so I've got a picture of, of what it's talking about. Here's, the, here's what the floors look like. Yeah. On top, well, what were they sitting on? Okay, they're sitting on a gold, gold couches and silver couches, drinking royal wine out of gold goblets that each one were unique. What did your goblet look like? Oh, my goblet does this way. Yeah, all different. And then their little bare feet and their little toesies are, are walking on that. And then the king comes by and says, everybody happy? You know, oh, by the way, you know, we are having a referendum and a little voting about whether we should all go fight Greece, you know, coming up. I don't know. What do you think, you guys? Oh, yeah, king. Whatever you say, man. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Then comes the alcohol, the open bar. Oh, man. You know, did I mention that we're all going to need a little help from you when it comes time to cast your ballot? Should we go and fight Greece or should we stay at home? And you guys know where my heart's at, right? 
Oh, this guy's smart. Okay. Now we've got, well, smart in a dumb way. You can be really, really smart and end up in a bad place. A lot of smart people are going to perish. A lot smarter than anyone here. Straight down. Forever. And partially because their smarts worked against them. I'd rather be born dumb and saved than smart and lost. Amen? Come on, that'll preach, right? I got that'll preach right there. Thank you, brother. Banquet number three in verse nine tells us, mentions now uh, Queen Vashti, and you've got to love her. I, I, my heart goes out to her. Uh, she's hosting the ladies because that's what they do in the Middle East. The guys on one side and the girls on the other, they still do it today. To this day, when you go to India, you go into the Middle East, girls on one side, boys on the other, and that's what they're doing. So Queen Vashti seems to have some common sense and some character, right? Or as we're going to find out, apparently she's more uh, dignified. There's not, I, I mean, I, this is how I picture what's going on in the palace with the ladies, all right? They're all dressed up, and there's a lot of happy giggling going on. So... Uh, you know how girls are, right? They're happy. Um, so they're at another location in there. And, you know, the ladies are, are eating quiche, right? And they're drinking some tea. They're certainly not getting drunk, you know. And that's part of the reason she's not going to go to the, uh, listen to her, her husband. And they're talking. What are they talking about? I know what they're talking about. They're, I, no, they're talking about what color the wall fabrics will be next year. You know, and how did, how did, how did you get the swags to go like that? Now, I, you know what? What is a swag, right? Most guys don't even know what a swag is. I'm married to a seamstress. She makes these things. So I had to learn words like swag, all right? One time, Barb asked me... <laughs> She said, did you like the swags in, those, in the house? We, had so, we, had, we went to somebody's house for dinner. And she asked me if, she was trying to ask me if I liked the curtains. But first of all, it started as the window treatments. And so <laughs> what I just thought are the windows sick. They need treatments, right? Then she says, I'm talking about the drapes, the swags. Did you like that? Honestly, I wanted to say, were there windows in the house? I, I didn't see the windows, let alone, the only thing I could tell you about the din dinner was what I ate, and if I liked it. You know, did you have a good time? Yes. Well, how was it? Good. Just stop with the swags. So they're sitting around talking about the swags. And you know why I went through all of that? I have a point, and here it is. In the Hebrew... When it says, and you know who's writing, a male is writing, and we don't know whether it's Ezra or Nehemiah. It's one of them. But we know a male was writing because during the wall fabrics sentences, it says, and the blue and white in Hebrew stuff. <laughs> it says, instead of material or fabric, it says the, they had hanging the white and blue stuff. Right? <laughs> so we know it was Nehemiah or Ezra. Anyway, we knew that without the stuff line. But when, when they saw the stuff, they're like a guy. 
you know, well, he didn't know the word swag, all right? All right. So um, we have now, seriously, we have a fool who's stuffed with food and overflowing with wine. This is a lethal mixture. Do not try this at home, seriously, especially if you're saved. You wouldn't be doing that. Verses 10 through 12. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, that's a nice way of saying something else, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mehuman, Bizda, Harbana, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zathar, and Karkos. Baby names? If I had to pick one, I would pick me human. <laughs> me human for a boy. You wouldn't want big stuff for a girl. Or a bag stuff. I like Zethar. Bistha? No. Carcass? Maybe. All right. To bring him. Okay, so seven servants are sent by the drunk king to go get his wife, all right, wearing her royal crown in order, here's my purpose, people, to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became El Furioso (laughs) and burned with anger. Okay, so if you're taking notes, just right, King Baby has a meltdown, all right? Now, the word, the phrase King Baby is a psychobabble term that is used among psychologists, and, and, and it's in AA uh, meetings, uh, personality type, and so you, some of you know what I'm talking about when I say King Baby. It's a real description of a personality. Let me read you the, the definition, because uh, this guy's King Baby, all right? A person who has a king baby syndrome is typically selfish, rejects correction of any kind, uh, complains a lot, and is obsessed with money and belongings It doesn't feel like rules should apply to them. In short, he is someone who refuses to mature and he thinks the whole world revolves around him. And then it adds, they're usually fun to be around until things don't go their way. Oh, we got an amen here. Anybody know a king baby? Anybody am a king baby? (laughs) All right. I digress. Now, Queen Vashti is summoned by her husband to the courtyard. Now, the king is intoxicated. It's been seven days. The king, honestly, the king's theory on how to avoid a hangover is to stay drunk. Uh, apparently, all right? And so he has been drinking, uh, and he's been displaying all his trophies, and he's like, oh, look at that, and look at this, do you like the couch, do you like, look at the floors, and this, and that, and the food, and the surf and turf, and all of that, right? Oh, but wait a second. Have you seen my wife? Have you, have you even laid eyes on her? She's the most stunning I'm going to have her come out and do a little dance for you. In the Hebrew, there's a little hint of uh, sensuality 
and immodesty, shall we say, when he's saying he wants to show her off. And so she's a, she's a drop-dead gorgeous woman. I mean, she's married to the king of the earth, all right? So she's beautiful, and she's got some class about her, too, as we've been seeing. So verse 10, he sends seven of his servants. Why seven? Well, because they're going to carry her on one of those chair thrones, right? You know, with the poles? They're called litters, all right? And so you put the royal person in there, and you get to four guys up front. You get two guys carrying the rear, and you hoist her up into the veil. She's going to come out, and there's a guy standing in front with like a trumpet. And so he wants to do this King Baby style, King Xerxes, it's all about me style. And he's going to bring her in with her royal crown on her head behind the veil, propped up by these seven guys walking in. Ladies and gentlemen, well, gentlemen, I present to you and the music and the drums starting because she's going to do one of those dances. So he thinks. But that thing comes back and there's nobody behind the veil. It's like, where is she? She said no. She said what? She said no. Well, she responds like a mature woman. You know, they, she, maybe he says, what did she say? You know, well, she said, take a hike. <laughs> I'm not coming. I, I'm going to degrade myself. In front of your drunken man guests? I don't think so. You, you do a dance for them, you know? <laughs> so, so what's happened here? Listen, you know the saying, hell knows no um, fury like a woman scorn. Well, there's another saying, hell knows no fury like a man humiliated in front of his homies. Oh, these are all his military guys, and he's trying to get them to get on board to go fight a war. And his own wife tells him, no, I'm not coming. What? He is totally undone in front of the whole place. It's just silent. He looks at the door. It's like, okay, guys, here she is. The door opens up, and they're going, no, she's not here. What? She said no. And all the guys are like, <laughs> you don't do that to the king of the world, you know? I mean, I think she did a great job, and I think God says amen, sister, to her, you know? And so he wants these guys to follow. Now, how are they going to want to follow a guy who can't, you know, get his wife to cooperate with him? It's their thinking. And so, you know... God doesn't expect wives to sin um, against their consciences or their Lord for their husbands. So she does the right thing. Now, whether she does the right thing in, in the right way, we don't know. But would it make any difference to this drunk narcissist, right? You know, so she does the right thing. She need not degrade herself before the king's drunken guests, you know. So... Uh, King Baby flies into a rage. Uh, alcohol is involved. Would he have ever even done that to his wife? Maybe. But you know what alcohol does? Alcohol takes a character flaw and, and makes it worse. 
Alcohol is like, like dousing gasoline on a fire. So whatever's already cooking is just going to get worse. And so even the scriptures tell kings in Proverbs, it is not for kings to drink wine. Lest your senses be dull and you don't do the right thing and you don't mete out justice and all of that. And so he's going to get all ticked off and he can't control himself because he's immature and insecure and a narcissist. So he's going to give full vent to his rage. And, and Proverbs 29 says, a fool, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps it in check. So. Don't fill yourself with wine, Paul says. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Okay, let's finish up the second half of the story and we're done. So since it was customary now, you know, we've had the speed bump in the marriage. Now what? Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke, King Baby, you said no to King Baby, so now we're going to call in a team of lawyers. All right. It matters a law and justice. He spoke with the wise men, the magi, who understood the times. That's just a philosophy and astrology, and were the closest to the king, Karshena. Here we go, baby names. Shithar, Admatha, Tarshish. Merez, Marcena, and Memucan. 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 The seven nobles of Persia and Medea who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to the law, what must be done? He's speaking now, King Baby. To Queen Vashti, my wife, he asked. She has not obeyed the king, the command of King Xerxes. <laughs> He's talking about himself. He calls himself King Xerxes. He likes that sound. <laughs> that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles. Queen Vashti has done wrong. Not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of the province of King Xerxes. You know, when one king baby is in charge, he tends to get a lot of king babies around him, right? All right. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, king, and so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. Next. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct. So all of our wives, <laughs> all of our wives are going to hear about this, will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. They're going to imitate her. There will be no end of the disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti, is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position, give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. 
The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. Of course, they're all guys. So the king did as Memucan proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in its own language, proclaiming in each people's tongue that every man should be the ruler over his own household. Amen, right? No. Well, yes and no. No and yes, and maybe so. All right. The wise men's advice. Let's talk about it. Now, the king needs help because king babies aren't very intelligent, all right? Because they, they, they just always are asking questions. They're not real true leaders, right? So they always have to have the wise men around them. Always think, hey, godly advice and counsel is good. But a leader's got to have some vision and be able to make some decisions. This guy never makes decisions. He's always asking, now what do I do? My wife said no to me. So instead of going for like a marriage counselor, right? Uh, he calls in a team of lawyers. That's what he does. And he wants to know, my wife, this is a personal matter. And he's calling in a legal counsel of guys. What should I do? He's asking a legal question. What, what are the laws about wives who refuse to come out to a drunken party and entertain the guys? I want to know. What do I do with this? What does the law say? You know, here's the, here's the charge. I asked her to do something stupid, and she said no. That's the charge. Is there any law? And they're scratching their heads, and they're, they're trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, somebody should have had the courage to be able to sit King Xerxes down and just tell him the truth. You know, tell him three good things first, right? That's what I counsel people. If you've got some hard advice to give somebody, tell them three good things, three things you appreciate about them. You know, those gold couches, woo, you know, whatever. And then you let them have it. Number one, you say, hey, King, number one, man, you got to grow up. You've got some growing up to do, man. You've got to get over yourself. Number two, can you stop drinking? Just stop drinking and, and act like a respectable person and maybe somebody will respect you instead of trying to manipulate. You cannot force somebody to respect and love you. You cannot force somebody to do it. Number three, you don't treat your wife like one of your chariots or your prize ponies. Dumbbell. And number four, number four, go and apologize to her. Buy her some blue and white fabric. <laughs> Go to Beverly's right around the corner. All right, the head lawyer speaks. <clears throat> He's going to give the answer now, and I've got a tongue-in-cheek a paraphrase. Oh, king, the queen has definitely committed a crime, a serious one. Not just against you, sire, but against all of us guys everywhere. You know that what Vashti's done is surely going to get out to all of our wives. And from now on, if a husband even asks for a cup of water, wives are going to say, I don't feel like it. Get it yourself. That's what Queen Vashti would do. <laughs> Come on, you guys, loosen up. 
It's going to be all right. We can have a little fun. It's okay. We're all going to heaven. Well, you know what? They're going to say, you know what? Why can't you get up and get your own remote control? Go up and cross the room and get it because they're going to be quoting Queen Vashti and imitating her. And you know what, King? There's going to be no end to the disrespect and the marital strife to say nothing about us having to get up and maybe help with the dishes. We might even be forced to make our own meals. So listen up. Here's what you've got to do. First, ban her from your presence. Then fire her from her royal duties and replace her with someone better. I was glad to read it wasn't execute her because he would have, right? And guess what? Happy ending for her because she has already borne the heir to the throne and he gets the throne after Xerxes is assassinated in his bedroom by a close friend. The boy, Vashti's boy, gets the throne and exalts his mama. So she gets, she's, she's okay. She probably heard about the divorce and went, phew, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> she didn't know Jesus necessarily. You guys, really. Then, okay, so... All, all the lawyers are listening, and they say, amen, right? Then they sent out the word from the palace to all the provinces, and here's what the, what the communique said throughout the Persian Empire. Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. This is from the palace. It's a new law. From now on, it's illegal to say no to your husband. Just about, you know. All men are to be respected. It's in the law book now. That's the close there of chapter one. Now, sadly, women have been through a lot in 6,000 years of human history. When Jesus came on the scene, he really made a difference. The gospel, wherever the gospel is preached, women are treated better than when the, where the gospel is not preached. Because the gospel elevates women in so many ways, it shows respect uh, to them. And so the edict that comes from the king of kings, here's what that reads to men in his law book. It says, uh, listen up, husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, understanding, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You want God to be up there going, I can't hear you. That's called hindrance of prayers where God says, you know what? I can't really hear this. I can't even answer it. I can't begin to think about what you're saying because of the way you treat your wife. I'm not dealing with you. Learn how to treat your wife with respect and love and sensitivity, and then I'll start listening to your prayers. That's what that verse means. That's the edict from the king in that palace. He sent one out. Listen up. It's in my book. 
This is how you treat the wife. Amen. Let's all just take turns one at a time saying amen. Ready? My turn. Amen. Okay, done. I'm in a strange mood. Oh, oh, the law book's not done with the husbands and the wives. All right. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is he saying there? He's saying, husbands, I want you to die for her needs. I want you to treat your wife like I treat the church. And what did I do for the church? Was there one time Jesus said, hold everything here. What about my needs? <laughs> I don't know the passage where it says, can we just stop everything right now? Because, you know, I need a little care here, people. No, he says, imitate me. Lay down your life. And as you love your wife like that, it's going to make her easy to do what I'm asking her to do. To respect and come under your servant leadership in love. She could do that a lot better when you're laying down your king baby self. Amen? Oh. <laughs> God wants husbands to be kind and loving and sensitive. He loves our wives. He expects us to love them like he loves them. They've been through a lot. Vashti just, just so sad. But God took care of her, you know. Uh, she gets reassigned, which opens the door for an evil villain to start thinking about ways to kill Jewish people. His name is Haman. He's going to start to hatch a plot against the Jews. And now this also opens the door for Esther to be drawn into that palace. How? She's going to end up in that palace is quite a story. Now, now get this. Some time goes by after the divorce, and Xerxes gets lonely and starts to miss Vashti. And you'll never guess what his advisors come up with to cure his loneliness. They actually... Oh! <laughs> You're going to have to come back and find out what it is. All right. So we're going to get to the good stuff now. Next week, we're looking forward to that. Oh, actually, next week is Kevin Toke, right? So Kevin Toke, come on out. You'll be so blessed. I mean, he's CD quality good. He's awesome. You'll love him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for some of the practical lessons we didn't even see coming. We're just used to the story of Esther, and we don't know all these side pockets of, of indirect truths that just come like arrows and hit us and in the heart. I thank you for the correction that we have heard tonight and, and the learning vicariously through somebody else's mistakes so that we don't have to make them. We can just watch the foolishness on the page and learn that way. It's a lot easier, Lord. So thank you. Now, Lord, in these closing moments, seal the truths that you're speaking to our hearts.
uh, about and help us to scoot in closer to you with our hearts as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.